0: Well, uh, I bring you cold weather from New England. Hope you like it. This is a fairly mild morning, uh, in, according to Connecticut standards, and uh, so I thought you'd like that. Anyway, uh, I, as I uh, has been noted, I'm a writer. I've written some books. I'm a senior editor for Touchstone Magazine, and I'm a co-host of a podcast called The Theology Pugcast. And uh, so I've done a number of things. and um, but I'm really pleased to be with you today. I've enjoyed my time here among the raging Cajuns. It's great, great stuff. I've always wanted to be, uh, you know, I've always wanted to visit this part of the country. So this is the first time I've had it, uh, the privilege of doing so. So, I've got three scriptures that I'm going to read for you. Uh, the first is from Matthew's Gospel. And uh, it's uh, uh, in chapter 7, begins at Verse 24. And the rain fell, and the floods came, the wind blew, and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. The next uh, passage is from 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3, uh, and uh, correction, chapter 1, and uh, beginning at, uh, no, chapter 3, beginning at verse 10, and uh, here the Apostle Paul says, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Then uh, the last passage is the 128th Psalm. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and meditations of my heart will be acceptable to you. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Um, we live uh, in uh, an auspicious moment in the history of 21st century. And do you feel a little uneasy this year? As though something may be about to happen that may not be all that pleasant to uh, live through? Well, uh, I think uh, that's a feeling that lots of people share. Uh, It brings to mind a poem by William Butler Yeats, The Second Coming. Are you familiar with that poem? You might have heard it and not known who wrote it or what it was called. But at times like this, people bring it up. So I'm going to read it to you. It's not terribly long, but it is disturbing. So, be prepared. Turning and turning in a widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. The blood-dimmed tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. Second coming. Hardly are those words out when a vast image out of spiritus mundi troubles my sight. A waste of desert sand, a shape with lion body and head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun is moving its slow thighs, while all about it, wind shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, but now I know that 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle, and what rough beast its hour come round at last slouches towards Bethlehem to be born. Well, I'm glad I could cheer your day up uh, in that way. Um, What I think uh, comes to mind whenever I read that poem is what is coming around again? What are we about to have visited upon us a second time? Obviously the Phrase, the second coming brings the return of Christ to mind. But I don't think that that's what this poem is speaking about. What has been sleeping for 20 centuries is paganism. And all of its violent and remorseless, merciless intensity. It's back. That poem was originally written before uh, the Great Depression. Before the Second World War, before Auschwitz, before the word got out to the West of all of the horrendous things that occurred behind the Iron Curtain, there was just a feeling in the air that people had something is about to happen and it's bad. Well, the good news I have to share with you is the world is always falling apart. It really is. And uh, we live in a moment when there is a very uh, self-conscious attempt to deconstruct reality. There are rebels, uh, and these rebels are waging a war against reality. Um, We've seen uh, episodes uh, in the last 100, 150 years uh, of of this phenomenon. Uh, Mao's cultural revolution is something that is uh, unfortunately not adequately addressed in our public schools. Between 1966 and 1976, the Cultural Revolution was waged in Mao's China, and tens of millions of people died during that period of time as the Chinese waged a war against the four olds. Old ways of thinking, old customs, old practices, etc. And the idea was that uh, we should wipe the slate clean so that utopia could be ushered into the world. Today the survivors of that cultural revolution are full of remorse. There are people who turned their own parents into the authorities and those, those parents were killed in the camps. No one wants to think about it over there anymore and they don't talk about it over there anymore and uh, one of the reasons why uh, they don't talk about it is because it's so painful and so embarrassing. But uh, what we see in our own world is a similar phenomenon. A world, uh, we, we, we're in a moment in time where people want to wipe the slate clean and uh, usher in a new order, totalitarian in character. All of these uh, things are totalitarian in character. And that's because, in order to bring in this uh, promised new order, everything has to go and everything must be controlled. No God above, no barriers below. Every lower authority must be smashed, leveled, bulldozed down to bring in the new order. And then, of course, that new order uh, requires that everybody think alike. No one is permitted to think for themselves any longer. They must parrot the party line. We see it in universities. I spent time at Harvard. There was a remarkable episode here not too long ago there, but it didn't surprise me at all. Um, yet, in spite of all this, things hold together. And the reason they hold together is because Christ, the Logos of God, holds them together. Colossians chapter 1, verse 17, we're told there that all things hold together in him. I think uh, the fact that we take great, I think, comfort in relating to Christ uh, as our personal Savior and Lord is a wonderful thing, but it obscures a metaphysical reality. He is the Word of God, the one through whom all things came into being. He's not just your Savior. He's also your Creator. So He knows you, and He designed you. And uh, He's the one that... uh, helps to hold not just the world together, but you together <laughs> uh, from moment to moment uh, throughout the course of your life. In my own uh, world, the, that world collapsed. I shared a little bit about my childhood uh, at, during the conference, and uh, I won't go into great detail, but I was awarded of the state uh, as a kid, spent time in foster care. Um, I know what it's like to be raised by the state, it's like being raised by the DMV, I like to say. You know, it's not something that you want uh, to experience. Uh, It's not as though uh, when I was uh, subject to the oversight of the state that I felt warm and fuzzy and loved. (laughs) You know, the thing about uh, many of these uh, utopian uh, projects is that's their ideal. They really would like to bulldoze everything so that we could all enjoy the warmth and comfort of the DMV every day, all day long. But uh, because of the grace of God, my life was rebuilt, reconstructed. Now I'm a father. I have three children. uh, I've got five grandchildren, and uh, I'm enjoying seeing those little people come into the world and... And everything has uh, worked out for the best in my life. And I even thank God for those dark, grim years, because it was through those experiences in God's providence that uh, I'm here with you now. You know, when Joseph was uh, uh, presented with the confession of his brothers at the end of Genesis, what did he say? you know they were afraid of course because it was an opportunity he had he had he had them right in the palm of his hand i mean if he wanted to get back at them there was nothing they could possibly do and what did he say you intended for it for evil but god intended it for good god orders things well now people build stuff uh we're busy beavers and we see in scripture that uh that we build things, and at the, be- at the at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, it's assumed that we build things. But the question is, Is what kind of uh, building uh, do we engage in? What's sort of the philosophy that we are informed by as we build things? And there are two schools, Jesus tells us. There's the school of the prudent man, and there's the school of the foolish man. Um, you've got the wise... Builder and the foolish builder, right? At the end of that, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the word that's translated uh, wisdom or wise uh, in, into the, you know, rendered into the English word wise is the Greek word phrenos. It's not Sophia. When we think of you know, Greek words uh, and uh, we think of a word from Greek for wisdom, we think of Sophia, that many women who have been named Sophia and uh, it's a, obviously a wonderful word and a wonderful name. But that's not the word that's used in that particular passage. The word that's used in that passage is phrenos. Now frenos is where we get the term phrenology. I don't know if you're familiar with phrenology. It's the study of the bumps in your head. <laughs> there are actually people who believe they can tell your fortune by reading the bumps on your head. That's not very wise or prudent to do. It's a kind of a foolish thing. <laughs> but the idea is that a person who has a good head on his shoulders is a person who can exercise prudential judgment just in the course of daily life. So we're not talking about you know, a philosopher uh, on a mountaintop, we're talking about somebody who gro- has his feet on the ground and knows the best course of action at any given time. Have you come across people like that? You know, I've known people in the course of my life, and, that, and there's no necessary connection between the education level and this. I've got PhDs in my family, I, consider them to be fools. <laughs> and, and I've got people I've known who've had very little education that I consider very wise, right? Because it's about exercising good judgment on the ground where you are, and that's what this is addressing, exercising judgment, putting things into practice. Uh, the foolish man is a moron. That's literally the Greek word that uh, is translated or rendered into the English, fool. So. You know, when somebody says you're a moron, they're quoting Greek. <laughs> you can say, thank you, I understood what you meant there. Uh, do you realize that that is the Greek word for fool? But uh, the difference between these two schools, um, or these two out, or approaches to, to building, has to do with what they build on. Foundations, right? So, the think about a foundation. So, I've, I've been a builder, I've been a general contractor, thing about foundations is they take, they, they, they're you know, incredibly important to get right, but no one ever notices that you've got them right unless you don't, <laughs> right? You know, they're beneath the ground, right? You take them for granted. You don't think about them very much. You don't like walk up to a house and say, man, look at that marvelous foundation. Those guys really knew what they were doing. Um, instead, you just take it for granted, as I said, and you don't see them. I remember years ago, I was also a commercial uh, real estate investor, have been for many years, and uh, uh, represented people uh, as an agent uh, when it comes to investing. And I remember one time we had a, a property that came uh, into the agency that I was working with that uh, we referred to as the sick house. And uh, the reason we call it the sick house is when you went into the house and it was a, a beautiful home, uh, everything had been uh, you know uh, renovated and brought up to date and it was clean and materials were good but you walk around the house and you would literally feel queasy feel sick and the reason was is that in the subdivision that this house is located in it's there to this day we actually sold it which is amazing but uh, it's it was the the leftover house so when you uh, pour a foundation the marvelous thing about Foundations is they're self-leveling, A continuous pour, uh, and you've got a self-levelled uh, foundation. You got to use you know some some devices that make sure that everything settles properly. But when everything's settled because pro- it's liquid, it self-levels like the top you know the top of a glass of water, the surface of the water in a glass, and so you don't have to go around and worry about whether or not it's level. Uh, but in this particular instance. Uh, Whenever you have a uh, you know a pour, there's some leftover, right? Uh, and during the washout, you, just, you you can find you know you've got all this sort of wasted concrete, and so the this builder decided, I'm not going to waste that stuff. I'm just going to have a house that I make with the leftovers. So he would pour, you know, the leftover material, and of course, you know, you get a, a very low, uh, you know, level of uh, of concrete with each pore. And um, sometimes you wouldn't even have it fully, you know, fill the, the foundation all the way around the house. So, in the, the final result, you had an unlevel foundation. Then the framers came in and assumed that the, le- that the house was level. That's what you do. When you, you know, frame, you don't like, got to make sure this, this uh, foundation is level. You assume it's level. But it wasn't. So they didn't adjust, and so everything is out of level in that house. And so as you walk around, you kind of feel like you're in the old Batman television show. And remember that television show, you know, where every, like when there were, there was a fight with like you know the Joker or the Riddler or whatever, everything goes, you know, and you're, you know, it's kind of the way it felt. And uh, it's uh, for that reason it's important to get foundation right because if it's not, then bad things follow. Now these foundations are built on what? Well, in the case of the wise man, they're built on the rock, something solid, something that's not going to move, something you can depend upon. And what is that solid rock? Well, it's the word of God. It's the words of the Lord, not just simply as we, as we read them in the Sermon on the Mount, but if we understand correctly who is speaking, the word of God, generally speaking, is the foundation. And if you build on that, you've got something solid, uh, and uh, it's a wise course of action to build on that. But what about the sand? Have you thought about the sand? What what uh, can we say about that? Uh, I lived on Cape Cod for about a decade, and we would have... Uh, sandcastle contests and sand sculpture contests on the beaches all the time. And and sometimes they were magnificent. You'd see these 10, 15-foot structures that were created laboriously by some artist with a lot of time to waste. And then what happened, right? This marvelous structure would be swept away by the tide as it came in and went out. And I think it's apropos to consider the nature of sand as we reflect upon this parable. Sand and its grains are tiny little rocks. What corresponds to those little rocks, I think we could say it's our words. And when we you know, try to build upon a foundation made up of human words, a binding agent that holds these words together, are soluble. Just give it a little time, let the tide come in, and it all gets swept away. Human wisdom, human plans, human arrogance... The word arrogance is an interesting word. It means to arrogate, which means to take authority uh, from another source and uh, give it to yourself. That's what arrogance is. So to arrogate authority is we uh, wrongly uh, grab onto or make a claim that uh, we have authority to do something that we don't. And uh, these worlds that we make for ourselves, they come with an expiration date. You know, Every uh, attempt to bring utopia uh, uh, into the world based upon our own collaborative efforts, our promises that we make to one another, they always fail. I mentioned this during the, uh, the conference. The word utopia uh, should be a warning. It's not a promise. Literally, utopia means nowhere. No place. There is no place (laughs) like this. It's something that maybe exists in your head but cannot uh, actually occupy space in the physical world. So don't even try it. Instead, dig down, get to the rock. Get to the thing that doesn't change, and that's God's word. Now, as we think about what we're building, uh, I think many times when people think about that particular parable. Uh, They think about their own lives. They think it's about, you know, the life you're building for yourself. But I'd like you to consider that it's actually something uh, more ambitious that we're talking about. We're actually talking about our houses, the houses that we live in with our our, our families, uh, the space that we share with other people. and. When we read the uh, 128th Psalm, we have a marvelous uh, set of uh, promises presented to us. uh, And I want to read it to you again to remind you of what those promises are. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now, as we build our houses, uh, what do we... Uh, looking to, as the model for the house, um, there are blueprints in any uh, you know, building process. You, know, you have a marvelous new building here. I'm sure that uh, uh, the folks who came out on the day that the work began, they, they probably just didn't stand there and say, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Uh, Why don't we put this here? Okay, that seems good. And we'll just improvise. We'll just kind of make it up as we go. No, they had a plan. And they follow the plan. And, but where do you look uh, to see what to do? What is the plan? What is your plan? We're told in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, that we shouldn't look to the world. We're told that w- our, our minds should not conform to th- the pattern that we see in the world. Uh, the word world, uh, aeon, um, which is uh, a word that means uh, an age, is translated into the English word world. There are different uh, uh, Greek terms that get translated into the same word. And I think I noted that earlier when I you know, noted Fren- Frenas and Sophia. Same thing's true with the English word world. And it, it makes a world of difference to know which one you're talking about. Aeon means age, And we know that with any age, there is a passing of the age. Things change. This will not always be the case. So what we're thinking about when we think about this age that we live in, is a set of standards and priorities that will pass away. If you build your house based on the standards of this age, guess what? Your house will pass away. Now, there's another Greek word, and this one might surprise you, is, uh, that's translated into the English word world, and it's the Greek word cosmos, or cosmos. And when we th- hear the word today, because we, we use that word in English, what do we mean by it? We mean outer space, right? We mean, you know, rocket ships, and cosmonauts, and stuff like that. But uh, the word literally means order, the divine order. There is a divine order to things. And if you want your house to stand, you ought to follow that uh, pattern and those standards that uh, correspond to that cosmos. And if you do, while your home may not end up on home and garden television, HDTV, by the way, a lot of the people who have homes on home and garden television, they have miserable sort of You wouldn't actually want to live in those beautiful homes with those ugly people. On the other hand, I've been in homes that would never make it into home and garden television that are wonderful places to be because there's happiness and there's love. I remember an elderly couple uh, years ago um, and uh, he he was a pastor and uh, they had retired and they lived in a trailer just barely making it, brother Emmett and his wife. Brother Emmett was a great guy. He was always he was always smiling, and uh, whenever there was a sermon being preached, and he wasn't the preacher, you know, there, you, you could you could uh, predict that at a certain point in the sermon he would say say this. Well, preacher, he talked like that. We've heard the bad news. What's the good news? And then, you know, the preacher would say, okay, it's time to transition. (laughs) But being in that home, you know, at that table with that elderly couple who had nothing, their home was like what we see described here in the 128th Psalm. Because they had built their house on the rock and followed the pattern, God's good order. And because of that, They enjoyed good fruit and enjoyed uh, an atmosphere that sometimes is hard to find uh, elsewhere. Now, another thing that we're working on is God's house. And uh, I read you that passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let me return to that and read it again for you to remind you what it said. According to the grace of God given to me, Because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. So he himself will be saved, but as only through fire. So there is a judgment for uh, the church. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a purgation. It's intended to cleanse. Uh, and refine when we see precious things pass through the fire, what happens? they're purified. When we see things that are n- less than precious, they're proven to be th- so because they burn, they're consumed. The good news is that uh, you know all of us have contributed to the church both. <laughs> you know each of us bring our riches and our I guess, uh, I don't know what the right word to use, maybe stuff that belongs in the dumpster, the church, and, uh, but even so, there will be a, a point in the future where it's all made right and perfected, and the things that should be burned away will be burned away, things that can be purified will be purified, and that's what we're looking forward to. And the thing that makes all of this possible, of course, is that the foundation is Christ. Now, in both this this, episode, uh, this passage and the earlier one, uh, you know, the story of the builders, there is this event that you know demonstrates uh, the integrity of the structure and what it's made of, reveals really what uh, maybe couldn't be seen before. As with regard to the foundation, remember I said don't really have an ability to appreciate the solidity of a foundation uh, from the street. This is another thing that's interesting. We have a thing in Connecticut called the crumbling foundation problem. There was a, uh, a quarry uh, in central Connecticut that had a, uh, a, an ingredient in its, a- in its aggregate that degrades over time. and So there are million-dollar mansions that are literally falling down all over Connecticut because of that. Look great from the street. <laughs> Your life might look great from the street. Your home might look great from the street. But uh, if it's not built upon Christ, it will collapse. That's the thing to keep in mind. Now, as we build out, you know, we're building our own houses. We're building the household of God. Uh, We can build out. And as we build out, you know, we can see uh, businesses established, ministries that are Established nonprofit agencies, different things that are established in different places. And we might find that, uh, you know, because of our Christian convictions, we're targeted by people who would like to tear the things we build down. And that's, you know, something that can happen and has happened at different times in the history of the world when Christians are persecuted. And I think we need to keep that in mind. We also ought to keep in mind that God is also doing his own deconstruction project. God will take down those things that are not built on the correct foundation. And in the process, you know, we could find a, a number of uh, really great deals. <laughs> you know, so so for example, I, you know, back in uh, New England, there are these businesses that go into old Buildings that are about to be torn down and they reclaim these marvelous architectural artifacts. Doors that are actually solid. They used to do that. (laughs) You know, and other things, old fireplaces that are just marvelous in terms of their artistry and so forth. You can go in and get the stuff for a song. I uh, bought an old cast iron sink that would have cost $500 today. I bought it for like 30 bucks. I cleaned it up resurfaced it looks great and what happens in the course of the demolition process is sometimes it's not the end of the story sometimes what god is doing is he's reclaiming things to repurpose them and to bring them into our houses and into his house there's a, a, a preacher artist by the name of the reverend howard finster are you familiar with howard finster oh you got to look him up um He was on Johnny Carson one time and took over the show. But he was uh, an old Baptist preacher, uh, and he built something he called Paradise Garden. And it was made up entirely of junk. He would just take stuff that people threw away and incorporate it into this massive project. And today it's a tourist attraction. Uh, And it's marvelous. I I collect his work, by the way. he uh, So it, it kind of re- this will reveal a little bit of the mindset that some pastors have with regard to their congregations. Well, He was, pastored a church and you know, preached his heart out one Sunday morning and came back to church that night for the evening service, and he, and he asked the congregation, what did you think about that sermon this morning? And nobody could remember what he had talked about. He said, that's it, I'm done. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to make sacred art. And he believed that God wanted him to make 5,000 pieces of sacred art and funky stuff. And he was discovered by some uh, rock bands in the 1980s, R.E.M., uh, Talking Heads, and stuff like that. And they had him do their album covers, and they became like huge hits. And he became like an international phenomenon. And today, you know, his funky art sells for like tens of thousands of dollars. And they're all numbered. And on the back of each one, you know, he signs it, and then they're just covered with scripture. You know, in fact, those album covers that he made for those rock bands are covered with scripture, and they all tell stories and and so forth. But the marvelous thing about it, though, is the theological conviction that under, uh, sort of, uh, underwrote the whole project. God takes our junk. Incorporates it into his building project. And that's a paradise. Paradise garden. You and I maybe feel like we've been discarded by the world. Feel like we're not appreciated. That the things that you know are valuable in our lives don't seem to have much currency, much value in the world. But God is the one who makes things that last and have value. And those are the things, and that's what we need to keep in mind. When we build, we need to build like God builds. And we need to value things the way God values things. And we need to dig down deep and build whatever we're building on his word, not just the empty promises of human beings that are like sand. Even governments are like sand. Just so you know, Roman Empire was a really going thing once upon a time. <laughs> and someday people will say the same thing about our country. It was a really going thing once upon a time. It's a marvelous place to live. I love the United States. It's like 20 countries in one. Travel all over it. Enjoy the food and that kind of thing. Enjoy the people. But it's not forever. Not forever. I don't know what God's up to, but he's up to something. He's always up to something. But we can trust him in the question mark that is 2024. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Help us to trust you, to value what you value, to invest ourselves in those things, to build according to your pattern, plan. In Jesus' name, amen.